Hey, we're going to start a new series this morning. Um, I'm excited about it. And uh, I hope that uh, this series, we really can gain a new perspective. We're going to go into a four-week series called Perspective. And we're going to try, I'm going to try to help you. I'm going to try to help myself take us to a place where we can view things differently. Because it's so important that we see things from the proper perspective. That we don't get tunnel vision as we go through life. Um, it's important that we don't get kind of stuck on where we are um, in our life because we're all in different circumstances. And the reality is that every one of us here probably have something in our life that we would love to change. You know, it could be a relationship. It could be finances. It could be, uh, it could be the job that we're in. It could be relationships. It could be our marriage. Um, it could be anything. And what's so dangerous for us as people is we get stuck in this tunnel vision or we get stuck in kind of this narrow vision of what's going on. And sometimes we need a perspective adjustment. And so that's what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. We're going to look specifically at a letter or a book in the Bible. It's called Philippians in the New Testament. This book, this entire book was wrote as a very personal letter from a guy named Paul. And, uh, just a little bit of background on Paul. Most of you know the story. Paul was originally known as Saul, was persecuting the Christians, was persecuting the church, was killing people for their faith, was completely on the opposite side of the fence than where Christians were. God came in, saved him, called him to a completely different life, changed his name from Saul to Paul, and Paul became what we know as one of the greatest spiritual leaders that has ever lived. Wrote lots of books in the Old Testament, wrote this specific letter to the church in Philippi, which he had personally planted and had led for a period of time. He planted this church about 50 years after Jesus uh, had died, A.D. And this was about 10 years into the growth of the church or 10 years into the life of the church. And so we kind of pick this story up. Um, and he writes this letter in response to this specific church sending him a love offering. They had took up an offering. Paul found himself in a place where he needed help. And this church uh, took up a love offering, sent it to Paul. And Paul writes this personal letter, handwritten letter, back to this church um, in response to their offering or in response to their, to their love gift to him. Now, Paul normally would have not accepted financial help from the church. Paul was a kind of a, I don't know if you would call him, had a lot of pride or there was some, there was some things in his life that he had said he will never do. And one of them was, I'm not going to just take support from the church. I'll make my own living. I'll make tents. He was a tent maker. And the church doesn't have to support me. I don't want to be a burden to the church. But in this case, he was at a place where he needed help. And the church came to his aid and sent him this offering. And so he writes this letter um, back to the church. And there's a theme in this letter. As we go through this, and we're going to go through four different chapters over the next couple of weeks, but there's a very obvious theme that pops out of this letter, and the theme is joy or being joyful. Over 19, maybe 20, 22 times, the word joy or joyful is used in Philippians. To be joyful, to be full of joy. And as we begin to look at this, we're going to get a perspective of where Paul is and what's going on with him, and out of that, of him writing this letter. Sometimes we do need a new perspective, right? We need new eyes. We need a new angle on things, and it's not so much different than like this. Have you guys ever like, met someone or had an initial impression of someone and your initial impression or your initial thought of the person was like, 
You know, either I don't like him or he's way off base or why would he act like that? Why would she act like that? And we just kind of write him off and we just think, you know, from, from my perspective, what I'm seeing of this person, it's just crazy. You know, why would this person be like that? Why would his family be like that? Why would he act like that? Why would he have that problem? And we just kind of like, it's just weird. We just can't connect. And then what happens for me, and I think it's probably true of you, is if I ever have a person like that in my life, is almost without exception. If I spend time with that person, right? If we sit down and we have a 30-minute conversation, or we go to dinner, or, or I begin to know about the person's life, and I get to, know, get to know the person, and I know their background, and I know their childhood, and I know the things that have happened to them, all of a sudden it's like, man, I understand. No wonder. That person is like that. No wonder that person has those hang-ups. No wonder all of the things that, that have been in his or her life have shaped that person. And all of a sudden, you're like, now I get it. And you all of a sudden look at the person with brand new eyes. Because why? Because you have a new perspective. And all of a sudden, what didn't make sense and what didn't line up and what you thought was crazy, all of a sudden you're like, I understand I understand where they're coming from because we have a new perspective. You know, it's a little bit like this too. Have you guys ever had a bad day, right? Just a bad day. Computer crashes, flat tire on the car, car's out of gas, late for work, one of your employees, whatever, but just one of those days, right, where it just seems like I'd have got more accomplished if I'd have stayed in bed. And then you know what happens is for some of us, we've had days like this, or like that, and then we've ran into someone else. And they begin to tell us about their day. And they have a loved one that's in the hospital dying of cancer, or something has happened that is really tragic, or something way worse than what has happened to you that day. And all of a sudden, you have a new perspective, and you think, man, my days wasn't so bad after all. See how the perspective, how we look at things, how we view things, Changes the way we think about things. Sometimes we really do need a new perspective. Here's the perspective that we need to read this letter from. This letter from Paul was written out of a Roman prison. Paul had been taken prisoner by the Romans for preaching the gospel. And he was literally sitting in prison for two years. He was chained to a Roman guard handcuffed with a chain to a Roman guard 24-7. Every six hours, they would bring a new guard in, so he would go through four guards a day, had no freedom at all, and he writes this letter out of that context and out of that circumstance that he finds himself in. And we know that Paul had always wanted to go to the Romans. He had always wanted to take the gospel back to the Romans. And what we find in this story is that instead of of Paul going to the Romans as a preacher, Paul goes to the Romans as a prisoner. So Paul is under 24-hour house arrest, physically handcuffed to a Roman soldier. And he writes this letter out of this context. We'll pick, up this, we'll pick this up and right in the beginning of the book in Philippians 1, starting at verse 2. And here's what Paul says. Paul says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. 
In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. There we pick up right away in the book this concept and this thought of joy. In the middle of his circumstances, he's speaking of joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart, for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of, in other words, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I'm a prisoner or if I'm free or whatever is going on. All of you share in God's grace with me. Paul just kind of sets the stage and lets them know, look, everything's okay. I know that I'm in prison, and I know that you guys know that I'm in prison, but everything is good. I'm praying for you. There's joy in my heart. Things are okay. Obviously, there was something in Paul's life that he would love to have been different. Obviously, in Paul's circumstances, he wanted it to be different. He didn't want to be sitting in prison. It never lined up with what he thought God had for him. It never lined up with what he thought was God's plan for his life. It didn't make sense. In some ways to Paul, I guarantee you at this point. Here's a question, practical question for me and you. Is what is it in your life, honestly, what is it in your life right now that you would love to be different? What is that one thing or those two things that if you could change it, you would? It could be a relationship with someone. It could be your job that you feel like you're stuck in or it's it's just kind of a dead end or, or there's just no work. It could be your finances. It could be a health issue. And see... Then it could be simple things, because we all get caught up in never being satisfied with where we are, right? There's some of you here that are here today, and you're young, and you can't wait until you get older. You can't wait until you have your driver's license, right? Because, man, when you have your driver's license, life is awesome. And there's some of you that can't wait till you're 21. Maybe there's some of you that can't wait till you're 25. And then most of us that are over 25 wish... That we could what? Go back. And if you could change it, you maybe would. There's some of you that have kids that wish you didn't have any kids or you had less kids. There's some of you that don't have any kids that wish that you had some. Right? When our kids are small, we can't wait till they walk. Once they start running all over the place and they're 18 and they're never home, we wish they'd go back. And we could start over again. Some of you are married, right? And honestly, you wonder if it's worth it. And then there's other people that aren't married, and they're wondering if it'll ever happen. Here's what we need to understand. Here's the reality is that, again, all of us, myself included, have something In our life, we would love to change. There's something that we wish 
we're different. There's something that God has allowed or God has placed us in or we've made mistakes or other people have made mistakes. Sometimes maybe it's good things or bad things have happened to good people like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, but we wish we could change it. Three things that I want us to remember this morning. We're going to go through these three very quickly. And here's the first one. These are so important. These are like life-giving. At least they are for me. The first one is this, is we all have a what and don't understand the why. We all, not just you, not just me, we all have a what and we don't understand the why. There's all of us have something going on that we don't understand. Why, God, is it this way? Why, God, would you allow this? Why, God, is this happening? Why doesn't it change? Why does it keep going? Why is it different? Why do I keep doing that? We all have a what. All of us, we're not alone. You're not alone. We all have a what, and we don't understand the why. Number two, second thing is this. Is God always has a why behind the what. God always, always, always has a why behind the what. And here's what you need to remember this morning. God never, ever, ever, not one single time if we allow him, God never wastes a hurt. God never wastes a hurt in your life and in my life. If you're hurting, if there's something that you wish were changed, (laughs) wish would change in your life, if you wish you weren't in it, God will not waste that experience, and them circumstances if you cooperate with him. There's always a why behind the what. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. His plans are higher. Some of the stuff that he does is beyond our understanding. But we have to understand that there's always a why behind the what for God. God specializes in taking something that is broken and something that is bad And sometimes things that are evil and turning it into good. Here's the third thing. Is I don't have to understand the why. To trust God in the what. I don't have to understand the why to trust God in the what. I don't don't have to understand exactly what God is up to. God, why is this happening? Why would you allow this? I don't have to understand it in order to trust him in the middle of it. Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with what? All your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And there's a reason that Solomon says this. This is the wisest guy that has ever lived. And he's telling us, and he's telling himself, listen, just trust in him. Don't lean on your own understanding because your understanding is skewed. You need a different perspective. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your, on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your paths straight. Or he will make your paths smooth. It's powerful. If you're in a place this morning where you want something to change or it's hard or there's pain and things just don't seem to be working out, whatever it is, relationship, finances, job, marriage, children, I don't care what it is. 
If you're there, here's two questions that will give you a completely different perspective on where you are. And these are so powerful, so simple, so powerful, changes the way we look at things. And the first one is this. The question is this. Well, here, let me, let me go back. Here's our temptation. Is when we're in a circumstance, we're in a difficult place, or things aren't working out, our temptation is to always ask why. Right? I hear it. You hear it. We hear it from ourselves. It's why? Why does this happen? Why doesn't it change? I just don't understand why. And here's what I want you to do and I want myself to do. Is when we're tempted to ask why, just jump right over why and replace it with the word what. And ask this question. What now? What now? Now what? Now what? I don't understand the why, but I trust you, God, in the middle of it, because I choose to. Now, what do you want to do in me? Not why, God, but what do you want to do in me through this? Look at verse 12. This is so big. Verse 12, Paul is speaking, and he says, Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me. What has happened to you? What has happened to you? Paul says, what has happened to me? I've been locked in prison. My plans have completely changed. What I thought was going to happen didn't happen, but what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He doesn't get stuck on the why. He said, but this is what has happened Because this happened to me. What has happened to me has caused this to happen. What has happened to you? Paul says that it has served to advance. And this word advance was a military term. It meant to move forward. And really what it meant was this. Is there would be a team of people. Part of the soldiers or whatever they were called back then would go ahead of the soldiers and they would like clear out the underbrush and they would clear a path and they would make so that as the army and the actual soldiers came through, they could walk through without getting caught up in all this stuff. But it was like a forceful advance of the army. And Paul is saying, listen, because of what happened to me, the ministry of the gospel, Christ's message is moving forestly, I mean, uh, moving forward. Something's happening because of what has happened to me. And so often when we're in the middle of things and you're in the middle of things, we feel like there's no purpose in our circumstances. What could, what could God possibly be doing in the middle of this mess? God, there's no purpose. We have to remember that we serve a God who takes obstacles and turns them into divine opportunities. He takes obstacles and turns them into divine opportunities to show his glory and for you to be used to make a difference in people's lives. Your setbacks and my setbacks, if we allow God, can become setups for ministry. Did you get that? Your setbacks, your mistakes, Your bad circumstances, if you allow God to be a part of them, and if you gain the correct perspective, your setbacks can be setups for God's glory and for you to make a difference. Your prison, Paul's prison, but your prison can become a pulpit 
can become, lever- can become a place where you leverage your ministry. And I promise you that in the middle of your circumstances, God has a purpose. God has a purpose. We just need a new perspective. Do you guys remember, and I don't know if it's been 10 years ago, it probably has been 10 years ago, that there was this big thing with these, you could buy books and there would be pictures on walls of this like odd picture. And if you looked at it long enough, you would see 3D images. Do you guys remember what I'm talking about? What are those called? I don't even know. Stereograms. Really? I had no idea. Do what? Yeah. But I always had a hard time seeing them, right? I'm colorblind on a couple of colors. And so I would stare at these pictures and I just, it was just like, I would just stare. And there was nothing there. And other people were like, yeah, can't you see it? There's like three dolphins and, you know, whatever. And I'm like, I don't see anything. And I finally figured out there was only one way I could see it. And, you know, they tell you to, like, look at the picture and kind of stare through the page. And and it would be looking like they were just spaced out looking at this picture, right? And I finally figured out that the only way that I could see the 3D image was to take look at the picture and then go cross-eyed and slowly let my eyes come back out. And all of a sudden it would pop out of the page. And I'd be like, wow, you know, you'd see this stuff. And then all of a sudden it would be gone. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about. And all of a sudden, it would disappear. It was just this picture again. It's a little bit like what we're talking about. A new perspective. That if you learn to look at it correctly, that if you learn to look at it through different eyes, that if you learn to look at it from God's eyes, from God's angle, God's way, that we see something new. That, in fact, we see something beautiful. That God really does have a purpose. That God really does have a plan. The reality is, is even when you can't see it, it's still there. Even when you can't see it, even when you can't feel it, it's still there. Now what? God, what do you, what do you want to do through me. Not why. God, what do you want to do in me? What do you want to happen to bring you glory? I don't understand the why. But I'm going to trust you in the what. Verse 13. So he he explains this, because what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, because this has happened, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. I'm in chains for Christ. Here's what's crazy about this story. Paul's original intent for his life was to go to Rome and bring the gospel to the Romans. Didn't work out. Finds himself in prison. And I'm sure it took a while for Paul to get the right perspective. But here's what happened. All of a sudden, Paul had a captive audience of some of the elite soldiers and leaders of the Romans. These were not just the bottom of the pile soldiers. These were the elite guard. They were in charge of providing personal protection to the empire, emperor, and his concerns, and to personally attend him. They were chained to Paul. 
for six hours at a time, Paul had a captive audience, and he began to minister to these guys. Four different guards for six hours a day, 24-7 for two years. And all of a sudden, Paul is saying, listen, I got a new perspective on what's happened to me. I was thrown in prison, but because I've been thrown in prison, because I'm chained to these guys, I have an opportunity to share my faith. And not only am I sharing my faith, but God's plan, Jesus' message is moving forward. And you begin to ask this question, who's the actual prisoner in this story? Is it Paul or is it the guards? New perspective. You know what's great about this story is God has a way of taking things and leveraging them for his kingdom. God has a way of taking bad things and bad circumstances and and things that happen to us, and he leverages them for his good. It's a little bit like martial arts. I don't know if any of you, well, Scott, you're you're a martial arts guy, aren't you? Maybe some of you other guys. I don't know much about martial arts, but I know there are some things in martial arts that work like this, that you use the other person's momentum against them. In other words, if a guy is going to punch you, if you are a good martial artist, you will take that punch and you'll maybe grab their wrist if you're good enough and you'll flip the guy over, but he's already moving forward and you'll use that movement and leverage it against him and you'll just say, come on and hit me, but I'm going to use that when you try to hit me against you and it's the same thing we ought to do in our lives. And it's the same way that God uses circumstances. It's almost like we ought to live as Christians and say, give me your best punch. Just bring it, because with me and with God's help, we're just going to use that. And we're going to leverage that. And we're going to allow that to just take us right over here where God's going to use it to do something incredible and beautiful. Use sometimes, with a new perspective, you can use Satan's attacks against him. Leverage it to bring God glory. See it with a new perspective. Your test... Your test that you endure today can be and will be your testimony tomorrow. See, that's huge. Your test that you are enduring today can and will be your testimony tomorrow. If you allow it to. Your misery can become your ministry. So when you face things in your life, if it's a relationship that's gone bad and it just seems like there's no hope, don't necessarily ask why. Say, now what? God, what do you want to do through this? What are you trying to teach me? In what way does this bring you glory? In what way can I leverage this to honor you? In what way can I use this? Do you want to use this to further your kingdom? Because that's really what it's all about. Finances are tough. Things just aren't working out. God, not why? But now what? Now what? What do you want me to learn? What do you want me to see? What are you trying to reveal about yourself? Now what? Here's the second thing. This one is going to be very difficult for some of you. Just because of how you're wired up and your personality. But the second one is this. is So what? So what? You could also say, who cares? So what? What does it matter? Paul 
in verse 15 is addressing some division in the church. And literally what had happened is, is the church had kind of divided and there was a group that was loyal to Paul and wanted him to continue to be Paul and to be the leader and the spokesman. And then there was another group of the church that was kind of divided and thought there was somebody that was better suited to be the kind of leader and the spokesman for the church. And there was just kind of division in the church based on Paul. One group was pulling for him, was hoping he'd get out of prison, hoping he wouldn't get sentenced to death. The other group didn't come out right out and say it, but they were kind of rooting for Paul to stay in prison because there was envy and kind of this struggle for power and all this stuff. Paul addresses this issue in the church. And it is interesting what he says. Look at these verses. So he knows what's going on. And he says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. You catch that? Some are preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry and it's directed at Paul, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, the ones that are preaching out of envy and rivalry, preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, so their motives aren't right, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains, making it harder for him. And then he says this, but what does it matter? What does it matter? I read that and I'm like, Paul, seriously. He says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Paul's saying, look, look, and look, you could probably go into some big, long theological discussion and all kinds of stuff here, but Paul is very openly and bluntly saying here, look, it doesn't matter to me if they're preaching, as long as they're preaching Christ, as long as what they're saying is truth, whether their motives are wrong or not, in this circumstance, Paul is saying, what does it matter? It doesn't matter as long as Christ is being proclaimed. If they're doing it to kind of make it harder for me, it's okay. It doesn't matter. He says, so what? Here's the challenge for me and you. Is when we face things. And I'm talking little things to big things. Every day. Not just when something big happens, but every day. How about we ask this question? Is it really important? Before we get crazy and all upset and fly off the handle and do something crazy, is it really important? And ask this question. Is it going to matter? Is what bothers me, is what is happening, is it going to matter in a hundred years? And if the answer is no, so what? Is it going to matter in ten years? So what? If it's not going to matter in 10 years, who cares? Is it going to matter in a year? And if it doesn't matter in a year, so what? And all of a sudden what that does is it brings us to a place where we can have a different perspective on everyday things that happen in our lives. And it forces us to have a perspective that looks into eternity, not just into 
right now? Not just the present, but in the future. Is it really going to matter? Somebody cuts you off in traffic. Guys, right? And I'm as guilty as you guys. Does it really matter? Is it going to matter next week? Nope. Ladies, someone hurts your feelings. On purpose or not on purpose? Is it going to really matter in a year? Nope. So what? And the list could go on and on. All of a sudden, we begin to look at things with a different perspective and says, what really, really matters? If it's not going to matter in a year, if it's not going to matter in five years, if it doesn't matter next week, if it doesn't matter next month, why would I spend energy and effort and emotion on it? See, here's the thing that happens. We look at things not in the light of eternity, but we look, in, we look at things in the light of right now. In fact, what it really comes back to is we look at things from a very, very selfish and self-serving perspective. And I'm as guilty as any of you. Here's what we have to remember when we face things. What really matters? So what? He said that about me. Is it going to matter in five years? Probably not. She did that to me. Is it going to matter in a year? Probably not. Because here's the thing that you and I have to remember. We have to ask this question. What really does matter? What really? God matters, eternity then have this attitude. So what? So what? So what? Really matters.
matter in a year? Most things we get upset about, probably not. Is it going to matter in 10 years? Some things may be a little bit. But if it doesn't matter in 10 years, I'm just going to forget about it. That's why Paul could say this in verse 21. He's facing a death sentence. Paul is facing literally his life ending for what he's given his life to. And he says this. He says, for me to live is Christ. And this is what he's saying here. He says, if I live, if I get out of prison, it's great. My life will reflect Jesus Christ. I will continue to do exactly what I have done. And I will do what God has called me to do. I will live for Jesus Christ. Everything about me is going to point to him. It'll be great. It'll be great. And then he says this. And if I die, if I die, it's gain. If I live, it's for Christ. If I die, it's even better because I get to be in Jesus' presence. Paul had an incredible perspective of life. He said, listen, if I live, man, that's going to be awesome. I'm going to live for Jesus Christ. And if this goes as bad as it can possibly go, if I die, that's even better. That's even more awesome because I get to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. Paul knew exactly what was important and what was important. Perspective. Your perspective not only changes the way you think, it changes the way you act. What's important? What really is important? God, eternity, and people. God, eternity, and people. Relationships. That's what's important. Ask what, not why. If it don't matter in a year, so what? You guys pray with me?